<laughs> so, the filter of the authority of peace, um, peace in the storm, uh, peace um, in the heart of the uh, men who had been demon-possessed. And I also talked about the, uh, the uh, disconnect that those men would have experienced uh, just because of who they were and how they acted and how they were, would have been pushed out to the fringes of the community. In fact, they were hanging out in the graveyard. And then finally, uh, peace uh, in the heart of the paralytic whose sins were forgiven. And then we looked at those same parables through the authority, uh, rather through the filter of authority, and where Jesus uh, shows his authority over nature, uh, his authority over the spirit world, and then his authority uh, over sin. Uh, and um, those, three, um, those three snapshots of Jesus' ministry are then followed by a discussion about discipleship. And this same pattern we've already seen. Uh, as chapter 7 finishes up the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 8 begins with cleansing of the leper, and then we have the story of the faith of the centurion, and then we have uh, a paragraph talking about uh, the healing of Jesus' mother-in-law, and then again, after th those three snapshots, we have a story of discipleship, and this was when the scribe came up and said, you know, I'll follow you wherever you need to go, and, and um, Jesus said, you know, follow me, and, and uh, you know, those that are dead can take care of the dead. Those that are alive are going to follow me. So uh, three snapshots and then a story about discipleship, and now three snapshots, and then we're going to start off today with yet another story about discipleship. So um, Matthew is, is being purposeful here. Uh, he's introducing his audience to who Jesus is, but because you have this little word interspersed about discipleship, you get the idea that this isn't meant to just be uh, a history book, that there's a call that Matthew is making to say, um, what are you going to do with what Jesus, or who Jesus is and what he can do? And now three more stories. What are you going to do with, with what Jesus can do and who Jesus is? And, and that's the highlight here as Jesus um, moves on in chapter 9, verse 9 of Matthew. And it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So here, at the completion of these six stories and this talk about discipleship, Matthew puts his own calling in there uh, to highlight, perhaps, of all the people that he's dealt with, the disciples with little faith, the uh, people who were demon-possessed and so forth, besides all that, it says, here was Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Uh, in Mark and in Luke, um, uh, he's called Levi. Um, it's the same person. Uh, Matthew and Levi are, this, are the same person. But Matthew uses, I mean, we have pretty good evidence that Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. Uh, so he puts his own story there. He calls himself Matthew. And 
We know from the day, and, and you're familiar with this, you've heard this, the tax collectors were not the most reputable sort. Uh, they were um, basically uh, uh, interacting with the Roman government. Uh, they uh, had authority given to them by the Roman government to extract a certain amount of tax from the people. Uh, they had a quota, right? Um, whoever had a speeding ticket in a town that you just kind of wondered if there was a quota? <laughs> um, he had a quota. He had a certain amount of money that he had to turn over to the authorities in Rome. So this is uh, one of those classic kind of deals with the devil, right? I mean, on the one hand, he was given some authority, some enforcement authority uh, to gather this tax. But you got to think that he was motivated to stay focused on that because he was going to have to turn some money in. He was required for that. And then he was also allowed to extract a little bit more than the minimum, or perhaps a lot more than the minimum, for his own salary. And of course that's where they got the reputation that uh, it, you might call it extortion. Because he had this authority to basically get whatever money he thought was right. So here he is, uh, perched there, sitting at the tax booth, probably positioned on one of these many, you know, paths that are going through the area. Uh, he was likely a, a smart person, so he would have positioned himself so he could have extracted taxes, perhaps from people who had just docked a boat or from people who were in a traveling caravan. Uh, so there he is, and it says, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, if we make a few assumptions that Matthew was well positioned here, uh, he would have heard the stories, right? He would have probably already heard of who Jesus was. Uh, probably, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit was already working on him. And then it says, as Jesus passed on, he saw Matthew and called him. It says, and he rose and followed him. And in verse 10, it says, and Jesus, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. From the context, we assume that what happened was when Jesus called Matthew and Matthew said, I will follow you. Uh, you know, they didn't just say, hey, let's meet up at the wagon wheel. They didn't exist back then, which is, a sh you know, too bad for them. Uh, but he said, hey, come to my house. We're having a party and I'm going to gather all my friends. Now, if you're a tax collector, probably your only friends are other tax collectors, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. It wasn't like he was like, you know, with 50,000 friends on Facebook. He just had a pretty small crew of people. So, of course, he's going to call the only people that he knows and tell his story. And here they are having a dinner party. And it says, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, you know, they're just everywhere, right? And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, did you catch that? I've read this so many times, never caught this. The Pharisees, which is often how Satan works, 
wants to get in and divide people, right? So they didn't confront Jesus directly this time. Here's this whole gathering. I'm not sure who invited the Pharisees, but they're there, party crashers. And, you know, come over here. And they're trying to drive a wedge amongst his disciples and says, why does your teacher, right, you can almost hear the sarcasm, eat with tax collectors and sinners. Certainly this is not the expectation of the typical rabbi. Uh, here, you know, they can just, you can just see the judgment just dripping from them. But Jesus, with, you know, um, perhaps supernatural ears, I don't know, but uh, it says, but when he heard it, that's Jesus, he jumps on in, right? He hears the, what the Pharisees are trying to do, and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call righteous, but sinners. So the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He says, you know what? Go figure this out. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a quote from Hosea, and it certainly is laying out for them what really is it that God is wanting? Does he want your performance? Or does he want your heart? That's an issue that every one of us still deals with, right? We want to we wanna do right. We don't. We feel bad. You know, we feel this distance, and it's a struggle. But it's pretty clear God knows that our performance is always going to be horrible, certainly by his standards. He wants our heart, right? And so he's trying to get them to, to just see, hey, things are different, y'all. Things are different. Uh, I came to call not the righteous but sinners. They would have assumed that they were the righteous, right? Uh, so he basically was, says, you know, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the people who know they've got a problem. I've got people who know they need something more than what they've got. And you'll see that theme uh, as we go along here. Then, still talking about discipleship, then the disciples of John came to him and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So this, we would assume, is a little bit more of a sincere question, right? These are John's disciples, not trying to trip up Jesus, just trying to understand Jesus. And he says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts on a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. Put new wine... But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are 
preserve. So here we have three um, metaphors uh, where uh, Jesus is going to be explaining to John's disciples uh, what's going on. Uh, the first is the wedding, right? Um, the question specifically is about fasting, but what's the more general question? The more general question would be, what about our customs? What about our tradition? Where does that fit in this new kingdom that John had been preaching, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus was preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're wondering, okay, where does our tradition fit in all this? They say, what about fasting? And Jesus says, you know, weddings don't call for a fast, they call for a feast, right? It calls for a feast. So things are... Things are changing. The next metaphor is this garment. Um, my hunch is that when your garment started to show some wear, got a hole in it, you didn't just get a new one and drop that one off by Christian services or Goodwill, which is kind of what we do, right? You fixed it. But you wouldn't have put it with an unshrunk patch. You'd, you'd have to have, had to patch it with a patch that had already been shrunk. Otherwise, it's, you know, this mixture of, of new and old, it's, it's not working. And Jesus is trying to say, you know, this, it's going to be really hard for you to put the old and the new together. And then he carries it with the third metaphor about the new wine into the old wineskins. Um, by the way, not that this is a, a really big deal, whether you drink wine or not. I mean, that's a Romans 14 issue. I don't really care. Um, it, says, it says, you know, be careful what you want to be filled with. It says be filled with the Spirit. Paul, um, Paul does in Ephesians. But those people that would try to twerk the, the Scriptures around and, and say that, um, you know, the wine of that day wasn't with alcohol, it's just silly. If there's no fermentation, this whole story Jesus makes just doesn't make sense. Of course it was fermented. Uh, but the point is, here we have um, this mixture of the old and the new. And it's just Jesus saying it's different. In fact, if you look at these two passages, the one that says, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the one that says, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The answer to that is because everything's different now. That's the answer. Because everything's different now. You, you're, you can't really grasp how different this is. That's why almost your questions don't really make sense anymore. Because it's just different, right? Everything is different now. And Matthew is trying to help us see that everything is different now.
Verse 18 says, While he was saying these things, a ruler came in and knelt before him. So here we have a story about a ruler. And there's a woman in here. And then there's some stuff that happens. All right. Now, how many people kind of generally know the story that this is about? Right? Many of you? Most of you? All right. Put something in there and close your Bible. All right. So somebody tell me the story. How does it start? Gwen, you can keep your Bible open. How does this story start? A ruler comes up to Jesus and says, my daughter's died. What happens next? What happens next? Jesus starts out toward the ruler's house. What happens next? There's a woman here and touches his cloak. And then what happens? Jesus feels it. What happens next? She's healed. What happens next? He points. He calls out her faith and says, "Your faith has made you well." What happens next? He makes it to the ruler's house. Then, then what does he find when he gets to the ruler's house? There's mourning, and what's that mourning like? There's wailing, and there's. Music. <laughs> All right. And then what happens? He kicks out a lot of the, he kicks the people out of the house. Then what happens? He takes her by the hand. And who is he? I mean, who is she? All righty. The daughter of the ruler. All right. And then what happens? And she gets up. So, now, let's read it. Let's see how well we did. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying. So, Jesus was talking. Jesus gets interrupted. The ruler comes in and kneels. Did we say that he knelt? I think we might have left that part out. Saying, my daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her. I missed that he asked for Jesus to lay his hand on her. And she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. We, we left the disciples out, I think, right? He rose and went with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. So we heard about a woman who was sick. We didn't really know what was wrong with her. Now we do. And we didn't know how long it had been going on 
but now we do 12 years right all right and then she comes up and touches the fringe of his garment we got that did we mention I've forgotten did we mention what was going on inside her head we left that part out I think for she said to herself if I only touch his garment I will be made well now how do we know what she said to herself because she told the story how else do you know what someone else is thinking anything else is an assumption we know what happens with that um, so the only way we know is that she tells the story but anyway it says for she said to herself if I only touch his garment I will be made well so I think we left that part out Jesus turned I think we left that part out <laughs> and he says take heart daughter your faith has made you well we, we got that and instantly the woman was made well I think we may have left the, the time frame there and this isn't when Jesus got to the ruler's house he saw the musicians but we didn't give the credit to the flute players <laughs> we got music yep got music the crowd was making a commotion. I think we got that. But, and then Jesus says, go away. We got that. Then he cleared the house. It says, the girl is not dead but sleeping. I think we missed that little interchange. And then we also mentioned, forgot that they laughed at him. They laughed at him like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand. Pat got that. And the girl arose, we got that, and then it says, and the report of this went throughout all the district. I think we left that part out, right? So, who wants to tell the whole story one more time? <laughs> Somebody's got it, I know. You do. <laughs> Are you going to test me? Okay, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> so, while Jesus was speaking... He was interrupted because this guy came up to him and he said, Jesus, my daughter has died. He worshiped him. He, he, he what? He worshiped him? He's, he knelt. It didn't say worship. He knelt. He did kneel, though. Mine says knelt. What does New American Standards say? Bowed. Okay. So ESV and New American are probably right on this one. Worship is, this is a great, great example, right? So um, the word means to bend down, to bow, or to kneel. Some translations have given us an interpretation that that's worship, right? So that's, I'm glad somebody brought that out. A nice little difference between uh, translation. I'm sorry? Oh, yes. Oh, there'll, be, there'll be many points. <laughs> so, uh, the ruler uh, knelt, as you said, and, um, and asked Jesus, of my or told Jesus, my daughter is dying. Um, would you come and lay your hand on her? Okay, no. <laughs> That's true. I must, I must uh, in my defense, I would say, in Mark, in Mark, the first time Jesus speaks, the first time the ruler speaks to Jesus, he says, she's dying. And then he comes back and says, he gets word while he's with them that she's dead. But 
But it's on my defense. I was giving you a fuller picture of the story. But, but, but that's exactly what's happening here. So, Jesus, you get the idea, right? Jesus um, uh, gets up with his disciples and goes uh, on his way to the house. And in the process of that, um, there's a woman who had been sick with a bloody discharge for 12 years. And she sees Jesus, thinks to herself, uh, if I can only touch the hem of this garment, then I'll be healed. And she does. And Jesus calls out her faith and says, um, you, you are healed. And instantly she was healed. And they go to the ruler's house. And there's a big crowd and lots of commotion with flute players and mourners. And Jesus goes in and clears the house and takes his daughter by the hand and she rises up alive and the word went out throughout the whole district about what had happened, right? Now, was my second version perfect? Nope. <laughs> was the second version closer because of everyone's input and going through the story a second time, right? All right, so what did we just do? We read a story, we told a story, we read the story again, we told the story again, right? Uh, for those of you that are interested in w what would I ever do if I was hanging out with a couple of people, if we were going to do a little small group, what curriculum do we use? What, you know, where would we start? What you just did is a discipleship technique called storying the gospel. It's been used for well over 30 years. Um, it's been talked about. It's been done since Jesus' day, of course. Um, I'm going to include in the notes uh, a couple of resources about how to do this. And so what you would do is you would find a story, and you would read it. You would tell the story. You'd read it again. You'd retell it. And... Then you would ask yourself, what did you see in the story that you didn't see before? What did you learn about God in the story? What did you learn about the people? Here's my favorite question. Which person is most like you in the story? What will you take away from the discussion and what will you do with what you learned? There's your curriculum. That's all you need. So there's a couple of resources. Um, one of the, one of the um, uh, people who has put this into practice uh, is a pastor named Jim Putman, uh, has a church out in Idaho. Um, it was kind of, uh, the concept was also uh, looked um, by, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he was the uh, Southern Baptist writer of the Master Life Discipleship Curriculum uh, and got with uh, Jim Putman and um, uh, here we, he's out in Idaho which is probably well no probably it's not in the Bible Belt uh, by any means but uh, it's got like 8,000 people in uh, the different campuses of the church and like 6,000 of them are in a small group uh, so 
uh, read that. So the concept of the story. So your challenge is pick a story in the next chapter or two and learn the story. And me or dad, one can call and let you tell the story. All right. And ultimately, when we get used to learning the story, we would adapt it for our different audiences. We tell that story, right? And then, of course, it's just a small step until we start to tell our own story and get comfortable with that, right? All right, we better quit. We ran long. Yes, sir. Why did Jesus tell them all to leave? I don't know. Um, maybe it's uh, maybe out of respect. Um, we could speculate. That'd be a fun discussion. Maybe just so the, the dad could really appreciate what was happening. Um, maybe Jesus wanted a little mystery. Uh, as the story was told as to what happened in the house. I don't know. It's a good question. Well, it was uh, common to mourn. The more you mourned, the greater the grief, right? And she had been healed, so there wasn't any use for all the commotion. Okay. Was my thought they made, he, he wanted them out of the house because he wouldn't need mortars anymore. That's right. Okay. I like that. I don't know. I like it. See, if we give you enough, if we give you enough uh, opportunity, you guys could teach this class. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have written a beautiful story. And you are continuing to write it to bring grace to our lives and glory to yourself. And we thank you for what we have through your son's death and resurrection. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.